I really believe that one of the things that God is doing with, uh, with His people is He's taking us out of a place of restraint and out of a place of, of being disabled. You know, the enemy wants to come always, eh? and he wants to disable us. He wants to, he wants to slow us. He wants to impede us. He wants to put uh, things around our lives, whether they're physical, emotional, spiritual, that would keep us from running with a freedom. And uh, I love this thing that, that describes Jesus. It is for freedom that... Uh, that Christ has set us free, Paul writes. But Jesus said, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I think for so many people, we, we get used to living, hobbling along, you know, kind of limping along in life, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically, whether it's spiritually. And God's intention, when He looks at that, He goes, that's, that's just not what I intended. It's not what I want. When He looks at our marriages, when He looks at our families, when He looks at our finances, when He looks at our physical health, when he looks at our emotional health, as a father, he's saying, that's not the way I created you. And uh, I want to bring you into a place of freedom and into a place of space. And uh, we get so used to people who come with a prosperity gospel and they've got all kinds of viruses. See at the bottom line, this thing is in the heart of God that he wants his people to be free. I remember for so many years in my life as a young man, there were, there were things that held me. And, uh, and, I, and I, was like a, I was like somebody wanting to run a 100-meter race. I was dressed for the occasion. Uh, many of you look at me and think, I don't think you can run the 100-meter quickly. Uh, I'll take you on. I could beat Vessi, that's for sure. For sure. <laughs> he's a, he's a long-distance runner. He's not a sprinter. He's built for, for, for distance, not speed. Eh? Did, you get, did you get prayed for for your knee, bud? Not yet. Eh? Trust God that he just touched you. Hey, Miles, you're too late, my bro. You're too late. You've got to be here when God's speaking, eh, buddy? <laughs> You'll have to come afterwards, eh? Yeah, he comes Because my wife really needs to hear what I've got to say today. There's some apostolic adjustment that's going to come into my wife's life, and I don't want her distracted by good-looking young men sitting next to her. Do you understand me? Just want to ask the deacons if they're deacons. Hey, watch this guy. If he talks to my wife, you take him outside, Okay. But I remember just having this picture of, uh, of wanting to run a 100-meter race and actually knowing that in the Spirit, God had called me to run that way. And uh, every time I started to run, it felt like I was, had a ball and chain that was attached to me. And I believe that there are people here this morning that feel a little bit like that. You feel like you know God's called you to something. You know that God is he's made you for something. He's made you to run, and He's made you to run fast. But actually, you just got stuff that's tying you down and holding you back. And when the King of Kings comes into our lives, one of the things that he does is he brings freedom. You know, Jesus could never walk into a town where there were demonic things happening in people's lives and the demons were crying out, leave us alone. What do you come to do with us? Jesus could never come into a town where there were people who were dead and people who were dead came back to life. People who were sick Challenge in their bodies, the reality of the kingdom of Jesus coming into people's lives and shifting and changing it. And so this thing of, of, of uh, a word of knowledge, a word of knowledge is simply just to have knowledge of something that you don't have knowledge of naturally, but God has knowledge of everything. It's people, the way he did this morning, what he's saying is, I really love you and I really care about you. And uh, you've got used to living with certain conditions in life. Many of those conditions that were identified or things that use Zimbos, you just get used to living with pain, you know. You just get used to living with struggle. You just get used to living with the way things are and have been for so long. And you start to believe it will never change. I've just got to get used to that. 
I want to say to you, the kingdom of God comes into your life. Jesus steps into your world, this kind king, and he says it doesn't need to be that way. God is not, uh, he's not like a thermometer. He's a thermostat. He has the ability not only to measure the true condition of what's going on, but he changes it. His measure. That's what the temperature is. That's what the reality is. That's what the pain is. That's what the trouble is. That's what the struggle is. But he's like a, a thermostat. He comes and he measures and he shifts it to the right temperature. He makes it what it should be. And so God's wanting to come into your life and in mine constantly in his kind and gracious way and just cause us to live in a place that's different. If you've got used to settling for struggle and for survival, I believe God wants to bring you into a place of thriving, into a place where your life is defined by something of you thriving, my friend. And I know I'm speaking to people who are some of the most incredible human beings. You know, when I think about Zimbabweans, uh, I don't feel sorry for you, but I have such admiration and respect for you because you know what it is to persevere in a severe trial. You know what it is to push through things. But I want to say to you, it's not going to be in the strength of your own arm. Increasingly, the one who lives in heaven, the one who sees from heaven, is wanting to come and he's wanting to be a deliverer. He's wanting to be a rescuer. He's wanting to be a one that causes those in a place of incredible darkness, not only to have their situation changed by the one who is a thermostat, like a thermostat, but, but actually be people who change the environment in which they live. And they do that with the supernatural grace of God that flows in and flows through them. Just where you are right now, just open your hands like this. Lord, we are in need in this place of more than any man can give us, of more than any government can give us, Lord God, of more than any foreign nation can give us. In this place today, Lord God, we're in need of only what you can give us. And I thank you that you're a giver by nature. And you give without, without finding fault the ability to face another day, or whether it's finances, or whether it's food on our table, or whether it's the right context, or whether it's new opportunities, Lord God, or whether it's to cause our crops not to fail, but to flourish, Lord God, whether it's friendships, Lord God, whether it's provision, Lord God, whatever we need, Lord, so much of what we get from you, most of what we get from you, in fact, all of what we get from you, is not the work of our own hands. Even the ability to work hard with our own hands, Lord God, is a gift that you give us. And so, God, I pray that you, the God of all grace, would open up the incredible storehouses of heaven and cause to pour upon individuals in this place today, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, where marriages are under pressure, Lord God, where women, Lord God, are entertaining the thoughts of being with other men, Lord God, where children are under pressure, Lord God, where businesses are, are creaking, Lord God, and crumbling, Lord God where the threat of, of giving in to corruption, Lord God, is real every single day. I pray, God, for a supernatural grace to fall from heaven like rain. Thank you, Lord God. Like rain falls from heaven, we cannot earn it, we cannot deserve it. It's a gift, gift from heaven. And I pray like you tear open the clouds and rain falls from heaven, I pray that grace 
would begin to shower down upon your people in this place, Lord God. I pray that when people are under pressure, Lord God, they would just stand like they're sitting now, with their hands wide open, Lord God, with their faces lifted to you, the God of all grace, that you, God, would pour upon people what they need. Thank you that you are defined as the gracious God, the one who is full of compassion, the one who loves to a thousand generations, the one, Lord, who forgives, the one, Lord, who is just, the one, Lord, who is kind. Lord God, I thank you for the manifestation of your character, Lord God, upon our lives increasingly, Lord God. And as we look at you, that our faces would increasingly reflect, Lord God, not the struggle, not the trouble, not the difficulty, not the hardship, but the beauty and the wonder of the one that we continue to gaze upon. I pray, Lord, that as we look upon your face, Lord God, as we look at you, that, God, people would see that our faces reflect the beauty of the one that we look at. God, I bless these people today, Lord God. I bless people, Lord God, that you planted. They are a planting of the Lord for the display of your splendor. I thank you, God, that you would take them in your arms, God, and that you would surround them with your love and your comfort. I pray, God, that these people would know the kindness of God in a harsh and challenging land, that where the sun beats upon them, Lord God, I pray, God, that they would know the lavish, kind, undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of God showered upon their lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, and be all that you are, we pray. Amen. So that was all for free. <laughs> You're going to pay for this part that the Lord gave me to share with you this morning. A lot, I pray that you just help me, Lord, to be succinct and to be clear in what it is that you have. Lord, I pray that people would catch your heart this morning more than they would catch your words. I pray, Lord God, that something of the heart of God towards your people would be demonstrated in this place. On the 19th of November 2017, I was standing here. We had had news the week before that there had been a whole lot of things happening in your nation. And uh, we, Nicole and I have often been in situations where we found ourselves heading to places that we should not be heading to. It's like we literally, on the way to the airport, the day that we were flying here, we had news of, of what was happening in your nation. And he is living, and they were putting some pressure on him. And there was going to be news, there was news that this thing looked like there was some, the winds of change were beginning to blow. And uh, I had uh, sat down on, on Sunday morning the 19th, not in my wildest dreams, ever thinking, because you know, you hear these things in nations and you think, these things will take years to change. And so even when those things looked quite dramatic and looked like things were heading in a direction, even as I was speaking to people here, the guys were saying, don't worry man, nothing's going to happen in the next while, this thing's going to take long. This thing's not going to be, there's not going to be a radical and quick shift and change. But as, as I sat on the 19th of November and prepared for this time that I was going to come and preach, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. And these were the words that I read that was talking about uh, the week before I came. Preparing for this time with you and Zim, I asked God how much longer the current situation in Zim was going to persist. I heard him whisper to me, not much longer. And I heard him speak to me that he was going to shift people aside that have stood in the way of his prevailing in this nation. I believe the Lord has seen how men have insisted on seeking their will and acted like there is no God in heaven who sees, who hears, and who is concerned. 
The nation of Zimbabwe is going to experience the intervention of the living God in her national affairs. Even today, as men sit and deliberate, negotiate and insist on their will, God is going to come among them and insist on His will. I saw the enough. God says, I'm about to turn the lights on and expose what has been going on in secret. I'm about to let the crafty schemes, schemers be caught in their own craftiness. As there has been seasons of purging and removal of opponents, God says, I'm cleansing the land of wickedness, especially in high places, and I'm removing those who stood in opposition to me and my will. There are all kinds of scenarios, but God is insisting on another scenario that no one has considered, and it will be a scenario that I want, says the Lord. I believe that the Lord is positioning His people in Zimbabwe in this time of significant change to be those that will be part of the project of rebuilding this nation. It's like the story of Nehemiah in the Bible. God is raising up a generation of people like Nehemiah that will walk, sorry, work to see not only one city rebuilt, but a nation rebuilt. God is going to cause resources from, he, from heathen foreign kings to be released to resource the rebuilding of the walls of this nation. God says you will repair broken walls. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will repair the gaps and the restorer of streets where people can dwell. I hear the sound of many feet returning to Zimbabwe. Your sons are coming from afar and your daughters too. I hear the Lord blowing a trumpet and calling his sons and daughters from all nations to return to this nation to help rebuild this nation. I see economists, business people, farmers, doctors, nurses, educators returning to being sent to other nations to study, returning to be part of this great restoration. I hear God saying... This will not be a single generation that will be, be part of seeing the restoration of this nation. It will be two generations. I see God raising up young people with a very important role and mandate on your lives. God is going to raise up Zimbabwe as a testimony of what he can do with the nation. Where this nation has been called the basket case of Africa, God says, I'm going to make you the bread basket again of Africa. King City Church, there's a significant role for you to play in the purpose of God in this nation. I saw a massive fireball coming from heaven and hitting King City Church in Bulawayo. As it hit, I saw an explosion of fire that was driven to Zimbabwe. I saw this fire jumping across national boundaries, and I saw it affecting three nations north of Zimbabwe. I believe that King City Church is going to experience outpourings of the Spirit that will be like explosive fire, that, and that the gospel will be spread like wildfire through this nation. I see that the fo soil is full of millions of seeds of God's intentions, of God's promises, and of God's purposes that have been sown over the decades. As the fire of God passes over them, are going to germinate and burst into life. Zimbabwe will be green with the budding promises of God. God says, I want, to, want you to see and embrace the call that I have on this church. I've called you to be a catalyst, to be a place from which my fire spreads. You need to be preparing men and women to go and be a planting of the Lord for the display of my splendor across this nation. I saw the enemy with his hand around the throat of the church in this nation. I saw the Lord coming to take the hand of the enemy off the throat of the church and hear him say, it's time to speak and it's time to sing. I feel like God is going to cause a message to ring out from you that, that will impact this nation. I saw God raising up people who will preach I also believe God is raising up young musicians and singers who will sing the songs of heaven. It's a time like never before to make room in your lives, to allow God to inform and enlarge your theology, 
theology. I see li- lyrics, melodies, and rhythms coming from heaven into your hearts and hear the sound of heaven's songs being sung over you. These songs will so resonate with the hearts of God's people and they will have the additional ability to break open the hearts of the lost. They will have a sound that draws people in. God is going to cause a sound to be amplified from this place into the surrounding nations, but not only into the surrounding nations, but into the nations of the earth. I've hidden musical treasures in the soil of Zimbabwe that you will discover, polish, and that, you'll, and, you, and that will be heard by the world. God says, I want to resource you with all that you need. I saw you being gifted randomly with a sound and film studio. That's 2017, 19th of November. We come back a year later, November 2018, and it seems like things got exponentially worse. What do we do with that? And it doesn't feel like we're sitting today anywhere close to what that prophetic word is. So either I was eating a lot of pizza with some really, really spicy stuff in it when God spoke to me. Because when God speaks to me that clearly, I I really do. Because I can't come up with those clever words. I could never imagine that. I wrote that in a period of time, probably in about 15 minutes. I just wrote down what I felt God was saying. And it's a long prophetic word. Two thousand and eighteen, and now, more than five years later, what do we do with that? See, I was here on Friday night, and there was a young man who was speaking in Genesis about the creation account, and uh, just a beautiful thing that he said. He said that God forms, and then God fills. When you go and look at the the account in Genesis, you see God forms, and then God fills. But one of the other things that you'll see four times in the first chapter of of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, is you see this phrase, and God said, and God said, and then it says, and so it was. And God said, and then so it was. And then God said, and then so it was. And God said, and so it was. This morning is to come and inject you with courage again. You see, courage is to have a set of convictions that you get from God that, that will cause you to stand when everything around you, all of your five senses are telling you something different to what God has actually said to you. In fact, it feels like things are moving in the opposite direction. But what you do is you stand because it's based on a conviction that God has put in your heart. I want to ask you today, what are some of the convictions you prepared to die for? What are some of the things that you will not be shifted by? Circumstances won't shift you. The threat of danger won't shift you. The threat of loss won't, fear won't in any way shift you from those convictions. You're somebody of a man of a woman who says, here I stand, I can do. If I was to shift from this, I would have to literally deny myself. It's that clear and it's that strong. See, courageous people are not always big guys like me. Sometimes they're the most ordinary little people. Sometimes it's a, a, a little mother or a little grandmother that holds to the truth of what they believe God has said, and they will not be moved and they will not be shaken. And the essence of all true biblical courage has to be that God in heaven said, and He's going to in some time cause it to be so. And whenever we say amen, I heard somebody saying amen now. I mean, we use that like hallelujah, we use it like we, 
like we use it like a word. You know, hallelujah hardly ever occurs in the Bible. Eh? I think it occurs once or twice. But we use that thing all the time. Us charismaniacs, we hallelujah, hallelujah, amen, amen, glory. And it's not wrong. Just I think we lose the power of that thing. I mean, hallelujah literally means God be praised. It means to lift Yahweh up. Yahweh be praised. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement. But this word amen means literally so be it. And so when God speaks, there's something in the heart of God's people that says, hey Lord, let the amen be spoken by us. Let the truth of what you said be spoken one day through our lives. Let it be, let it be manifest through our lives, I mean. And so I want to speak this morning about, about living in the gap. Living in the gap between, and God said, realities of God accomplishing what he said and God speaking what he said. And there are things that God wants to speak over your life and there are things that God wants to speak over my life. Can I say this to you today? And maybe this is something that needs to come as a bit of an adjustment into your life because it had to come into my life. Is I wanted to take everything of what the scriptures taught and everything of what God promised and I wanted to try and reduce it to my personal life. And many of us come into this place, we come into the church, and we, we, we're wanting something from God for our personal lives. And that's not sinful or wrong, but let me tell you, it's a bonsai version of what God actually intended for you. Because the Bible says an incredible thing. I think it's, I'm, I'm not sure if it's Peter. We have an inheritance in the saints. And so many times we want an inheritance for me and my family, but actually the inheritance that God has for us is wrapped up in this incredible thing called the church of God. And so whenever God is speaking, it's often He's not speaking to an individual. He's not promising to an individual. He's promising to His people. And, uh, and whenever we come into the church and we treat, treat the church a little bit like that thing in the casino where you pull the thing and, you get it, and then there are three cherries and then you get a whole lot. i just got to pull the lever and then I'm going to get stuff. When we treat the church and we treat God like that for our own personal lives, friends, the fact that God even tolerates it is a sign of His incredible kindness, and He does. That, but that's a very, very... A lot of what God wants to do is not really about you individually or me individually. We get our individual needs and our, our individual wants taken care of, but it's often a, it's a spillover from God doing something incredible with His people and with His church. And so I want to encourage us this morning just with what do you do with, with a prophetic word like that? So here's the thing about the prophetic that's very important is it needs to be weighed. So I don't even know if you guys wrote that word down. This is not a rebuke to you, but I'm, I'm astounded how many times God speaks in meetings. And Nicole and I have had to help people who lead churches because prophetic words come and they, and, and let me just say this, some prophetic words come and they're like a snowflake just to bless and just to, just to demonstrate something of the wonder and the beauty of God. A snowflake is an incredible thing. If you've ever looked at a snowflake, I believe it's, if you pick it up, it's the most incredible construction. You put it under a microscope, it's a very, very beautiful thing. But it very quickly, it lands within, within seconds, it's disappeared. It, like it's, it just disappears, especially in a hot place like Zimbabwe. And so some, place, some prophetic words are like a snowflake, but some prophetic words are like a seed that are the incorruptible seed of God's word. And at the right time, in the right circumstances, that thing will germinate. And it's a little seed, but it'll become the biggest of trees, like the kingdom of God in people's lives. But many people 
don't even know what God said. And so when God comes and He speaks to you, and let me say, you don't need a prophetic word for God to be speaking to you. Every single time, Vessi or any of the other people here, open the Word of God and preach the Word of God. That is a prophetic word for you. See, the prophetic word is something of the will and the mind of heaven, something of the heart of God that He wants to be manifest here on earth. And so that's what it means to be prophetic. To be prophetic means to to understand and to see and to hear and to perceive what it is that is in the heart and the mind of God and to see that become a reality for people here on earth. That's what it means to be prophetic. But what do you do with, with a prophetic word like that? There, there are so many things. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to weigh it. The Bible says you've got to take that and say, before God, God, what if this is spirit through a very ordinary human being? I said this to the young guys on Friday night. You know that... For you to get a prophetic word from people, a personal prophetic word from me or from any other person, is really second best. It's a little bit like the difference between making a pizza if you're a brilliant pizza maker or ordering a pizza from, from do you guys order pizzas here? Do you have delivery? Uh, okay. So in, in, in places, places where we live, what you have is you have something called talabat. And uh, I ordered pizzas a while ago, and it was an unhappy experience for me. Because one is the guy brought the wrong pizzas, but secondly, that guy was driving that motorbike very, very, very fast. Because, and this thing was like, it was just, it was, a, it was an unholy mess when I opened that thing. And the thing that really irritated me is he knew that, because he had either gone over a speed bump or something, and the boy had gone around, a, or he'd had a crash, and his pizza was a mess, and he was gone. He took my money and he is gone. It wasn't a happy occasion. Getting a prophetic word from somebody is a little bit like getting a word delivered through, through the human agency, the flawed human agency of another human being. And so the, one of the most wonderful things that God speaks to his sheep, he wants to speak to you. He doesn't want you to be one of those people who comes to the great prophet and gets a prophetic word and then lives off something that somebody else had to go and get from heaven and then bring to you. There's a whole problem with that delivery sometimes because my opinions, my thoughts. So the first thing when you receive a prophetic word and a church receives a prophetic word is that the leaders here have a responsibility before God to take that word and to weigh it. I'm amazed how many times we brought prophetic words to churches and they don't even write it down. And it's quite difficult to have written all that down. Don't come to me afterwards and say, listen, Kev, we, we want to take that and we want to weigh it. Because if what you're saying is true, then, then we want to align our lives. We want to align our, our hearts with what God is saying. There's an implication. You know, I often say that when you're writing notes, the front part of your notebook, if you write notes, I can see Kali writes notes. He's got a photographic memory there. He's sitting, rem remembering everything. The back part of your notebook needs to be, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my family? Because if you hear that prophetic word, there's an implication for you individually as you sit here. Whether you're a young person, whether you're an old granny in this church, there's an implication for you. There's something that God, he's not just saying what he's saying because he wants to say it. He's saying it because he's actually, there's, there's an implication. There's, a, there's an outworking of what he needs us to be doing for us as a church. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for our finances? What does that mean for our leadership structures? What does it mean for the preaching? What does it mean for all of these things? It becomes an incredible agenda 
that we started to chuck down our agendas and say, God, we really do want the agenda of heaven. And hopefully what it also do, God's been saying to this church over many years. You know that the number 10 is a, is a number, it, it's, a, it's symbolic of completion. The completion of a season or the completion of a foundation. I feel for you as a church that you've come through 10 years of laying, digging and laying foundations. It's incredible, incredibly hard work. And I want to say to all of you that have been part of the journey for the last 10 years, some of you right from the very beginning, I want to say to you guys are the true heroes. Because there'll be people that'll come here 10, 15, 20 years later, and they'll be stepping into something of what God has built. And they won't even recognize that nothing of what they see with their physical eyes above the soil could ever have existed if it wasn't for those of you who were digging holes. I'm not I'm talking about physical but spiritual foundations so that those who would come in future generations could eventually put up high walls and beautiful roofs and places that God could actually dwell in and do incredible things from. And so I want to say to you, for the last 10 years, God has been doing a work, but there's a sense in, at the end of 10 years, there's a sense of the completion of a season. And year 11, often in the Bible, is defined by chaos and disorder. It's amazing how when God has finished a season, as he's stepping into the next season, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to cause chaos and confusion in the 11th year. And I want to say to you, be very, very careful what you do with the fire that's in your hand or in your mouth. You know, the Bible says the power of life and death in the words that we speak. The devil takes very seriously what you say, especially when you talk rubbish and you slander and you gossip. And you speak critically. The devil will agree with you on that stuff. And you and him become partners in setting fires, the wrong fires to things that God has built that will destroy and break things down. I don't know what happened in, 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 uh, in COVID, but we lost our minds as Christians, many of us. And some of the most clever people, I can't believe the stupid things that come out of their mouths. Some of the poorest, most humble, most limited in their resources with some of the heroes in the season for us in Qatar in the season they were the people that put their shoulder to the wheel they were the people that would depend all the clever people all the people with big degrees and come from fancy places and got all kinds of opinions and been putting the money into the pot those people are some of the most unhelpful people in the season not all of them but some of them in the season where the pressure was really on and friends 10 years completed God God wants to Lift your heads and encourage you to understand something of what he wants to do. This church is not your church. This is his church. This is, a, this is the planting of the Lord. It's not the planting of Vesey and Sumin. And I honor this couple. I honor them for the sacrifice that they've made and the people that have joined with them, you people that have joined with them, in the sacrifice that you've made to see something built for God here that will be something that he could dwell in by his spirit. But this is not your church. This is not a country club, a Christian version of the, the very, very bad country club down the road where the oaks dop and get drunk and do all kinds of crazy things, or the fishing club or whatever other club there is. This is not a, this is not an, a neater version of what's happening out there. This is the church of the living God. It's a, it's a mountain that's on fire. It's a mountain that where God speaks from, things begin to shift and change. You're the planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And so what do we do with this living in the gap between, and God said, and so it was, because that's where you are right now. 
is saying. The three words that appear in the book of Proverbs, the word knowledge, the word wisdom, and the word understanding. And we know that knowledge and, and wisdom come from the fear of the Lord. And when you get that order right, when you understand who God is, when you respect God for who He really is, when you let uh, your eyes be changed to see God in the fullness of His power and of His might and of His kindness and of His beauty, one of the things that starts to happen is you start to ask questions. One of the greatest keys to becoming a people of understanding is that you ask questions of the right people, good questions of the right people. I felt like God take me on a journey for many, many years. I thought that all of life was the accumulation of knowledge and the accumulation of wisdom that came from experience. Because clever people and people who've got a whole lot of experience often are people who assume that they have understanding. But I felt God take that thing the other way around. He said to me, Kev, you need to stop being defined by the statements you make and you need to become defined by the questions that you ask. Questions that you ask of yourself. Questions that you ask of others. Humbly asking questions of people. Questions of God. And one of the wonderful things about God is that mystery and not understanding things and being people who don't fully understand something one of the, the, the beautiful things about mystery is it's always an invitation into intimacy. It's always an invitation. God is leaving you a little bit unclear about so many things. He's intentionally vague. He's in, because what he does is he throws out a comment or he throws out a word or he throws out a description. And it's amazing how few people get triggered into humbly coming and say, Lord, help me understand what it is that you really say. Lord, what does it mean for me to be a husband to Nicole van Eyck? Because the way Vessi is a husband to Samina is different to the way that I need to be a husband to her. Lord, help me understand the call of God in her life. There's a beautiful story in the book of Judges where Samson's father, the mother is out in the field. An angel appears. She's been trusting God for a baby. The angel appears to her and says, you get, this time next year you're going to have a kid. She goes home and says, hey, this angel told me we're going to have babies. He gets angry with her. He said, why didn't you call me? So she's out in the field a couple of weeks later, and the angel appears. She says, hey, you're not going anywhere. Because the last time you spoke to me, and I, I went to, I got in big trouble. So you just, before you say anything, just wait. She runs and fetches her husband. The husband comes. He asks a profound thing. He says, what will this child's mission be? After the angel tells him what's going to happen, he says, what will this child's mission be? And what must his manner of life be? See, as a father, what I've got to do is I've got to look at my three kids and I've got to go, God, what is Cameron's mission? And how do you want me as a dad to raise him? Of understanding. Statements oftentimes just indicate how ignorant we really are. What questions are you asking God about this prophetic word? Living in the gap, we need to become a people of understanding who ask questions. Secondly, we need to trust what he has said. God wants to take us from a place where, where we are depending on so many different people. You know, Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken 
and will he not fulfill it? Man, that he should lie. God does not flatter us. So many times when people speak to us and they tell us things, we kind of left a little bit insecure because we think, we wonder if they're just trying to flatter us. We wonder if they're just trying to butter us up. God cannot lie. And so when he speaks to you about who you are, and he speaks to you about what he wants to do, and he speaks to you about where he's taking you, he is never going to lie. He cannot lie. John chapter 6, verse 8 to 29 says, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? You know what it means to be doing the works of God? You know what it means, what the, the one thing, if you don't do anything else, if you don't do, says the one thing that we should be doing, he says this. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who was sent. That you believe in Jesus. The one work that you and I should be doing is to be trusting and clinging to every single word that God has spoken. His written word and His revealed word is continues to come. I want to ask you today, do you trust Him? Is your life defined by Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6? It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. My friends, many, many of us in our lives, we, it's going like this, you know. Konkul Pat for the Afrikaners. It's like this, this kind of crooked road. Our lives look like a crooked stick, you know. And God wants to straighten things out in our lives. He wants to, it, it's the key to it is, do you trust in him? Do you trust him with all of your heart, or are you leaning on your own understanding? Many times we've got an understanding and perspective but God needs to take us out of our perspective, give us his perspective and show us who we really are and where we really are and who we really are among and what he's really doing. He wants to give us a heavenly perspective, the invitation to come up here. I want to show you the things that will take place. I want to ask you today, is your life defined by this thing that you're somebody who trusts? Two men, two different men or women described. Blessed is the man who trusts in God. For he will be like a tree planted by a river, bearing fruit, full of leaves. Cursed is the man who trusts in his own right arm. He will be like a tumbleweed that gets blown through the wilderness. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? It's the essence of faith, isn't it? Thirdly, let, let your future, let future, sorry, let future joy Fire your ability to endure. Let future joy fire your ability to enjoy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 says, Let us lay aside every weight. We've got to lay aside weights. And we've got to lay aside sin, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, I want to say to you that there is, a, there is an endurance that I see in some of your faces that is killing you because it's not fired by a revelation of the joy that is set before you. 
And if you get a revelation of the joy that is set before you, if you get the, the revelation of the joy that is set before future generations, if you get a prophetic future, if you stop allowing the history and the current reality to define the picture of what God has in mind for this nation, and you let a future joy, the, the, the reality of a future joy, a place that is beautiful, just to envisage, begin to envisage uh, at Zimbabwe, that is, is, is the picture of what God actually depended. And right now, as I say that, there are arguments that just come up against what I'm saying. This is, Kev, who the heck do you think you are? You've got nothing to say here. Collectively, you've maybe spent 30 days in this nation. Yeah, you come like a hotshot preacher, and you want to tell me that I need to endure, and that I need to have joy, and I need to trust God. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know that my farm was taken away from me. You don't know that my, my family was murdered. You don't know that things went on in this nation. You don't know some of the criminality and the corruption. You don't know the wickedness that exists in high places and has existed yeah, long before even the, the, the current government came into power. You don't know the reality. Kev, you call yourself an African. You have no cooking clue. And I want to say to you that all of those arguments and pretensions are right about everything except one thing. That there is a preferred future in the heart of God. There is a dream in the heart of God for this nation. Something where the kingdom of God is manifest. Where the, the righteousness, peace and joy starts to come into a nation because of the people of God who hold high the throne of God in this particular place. Friends, you, you, you don't have enough strength. As strong as you are, you beautiful Zimbabweans, you, you will get tired. A gorilla will wrestle you to the ground and squeeze the life out of you, and you will eventually tap out. If your endurance is not fueled by a joy revealed in the heart of God for this nation. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to learn the discipline of persistent prayer. Learn the discipline of persistent prayer. You know, one of, one of the things in my life that I, that I really hope will be different, I hope that one of the things that will eventually say about me was that he was a man of prayer. I'm a man who prays, but I'm not a man of prayer. I'm not defined by prayer. And I'm definitely not defined by persistent prayer. There are many things in my life that God has promised that I'm not living. What he wants to do is he wants to draw me into a partnership called persistent prayer where I keep coming to him where I keep calling on him. Luke chapter 18 verse 1 says, And Jesus told them a parable, excuse me, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He tells them a story. And the story is of a, of a, of a, of a, of a judge that lives in a certain city who did not fear God and did not respect men. And then there's this widow who comes to this judge because he's meant to be there to represent the interests and the concerns of that widow. And she comes to him, and he rejects her. He ignores her. He, he chases her away. And eventually, this guy, only because he's scared, even though he still doesn't respect, uh, fear God or respect man, he realizes this woman is going to make my life a pain. She's a pain in all the wrong places. She is a pain of note. And if she's going to wear me down. And so what he does is he, the Bible says here, it says in Luke chapter 6, verse uh, 6, 18 verse 6 to 8, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. That word speedily, God's definition of speedily and your definition of speedily and my definition of speedily are very different. Nevertheless, 
When the Son of Man comes, and here's the big question, friends, will he find faith in the earth? Will he find a people? You see, one of the greatest things that gets expressed in persistent prayer is that we trust God, is that we look to God, is that we keep believing Him. God, you are not a man that you should lie. If you have spoken these things, God, you will, you will do them. And God, help me to align my life. Help me to align my thinking. Help me to align my behavior to meet with it. In 1 Kings chapter 18, and I don't want to read it all, but 41 to 45, there's an incredible account of Elijah has just um, had this encounter on Mount Carmel between the Baal prophets and God, and they call on, they call on their gods, and they call on the, 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 the wicked gods of that time. And, and you know the story, if you've gone and read the story, it's an amazing story of how he calls on God to answer with fire after they poured the sacrifice completely wet, and God falls with fire from heaven upon the sacrifice, and the people turn, the whole nation turns to God. What had happened before that is that, that he had prophesied that it would not rain until he said it would rain again. And then God says to him, go show yourself to Ahab. And he, they have this incredible encounter on Mount Carmel. And then uh, he says to Elijah, he says, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Go and have some food. But God's about to do something. He goes to the top of the mountain. The Bible says that he puts his head, his face between his knees. So the picture of that is one of sitting down and just putting his face between if there's any evidence of rain that's going to come. Seven times he goes. Comes back the first time. One word, nothing. Goes again. Comes back. Nothing. Goes again. Nothing. Goes again. Nothing. Goes again. Nothing. Goes again. Nothing. The seventh time he goes, he says there is a cloud the size of a man's hand rising over the sea. Elijah gets up. He says, go and tell Ahab that he better get on his chariot because the rain is coming. And the Bible says, suddenly the, the sky grew dark and the rain starts to fall. I think it's a period of three years that there wasn't rain. Friends, I, I want to say to you prophetically that for your season to move and, and to move through the season, you, 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 in, while you're living in the gap, you're going to have to be a people who know how to pray persistently. Who, to bring back to God, God, this is what you said. This is what you said. This is what you said. Lord, it's getting darker. It doesn't make sense. It, it's exactly the opposite, but I don't care. This is what you said. God, this is what you said. This is what you said. Lord, you said that there are going to be young people coming out. Since I've been here, I've heard about four or five young people that are leaving this country. And I want to say to those who are leaving, no shame. If that's what God has called you to do, you must do what God's called you to do. Because God's also going to take young people from this place and make them a blessing to the nations. Be very, very careful. James speaks about that thing. It says uh, that's a very, very dangerous and arrogant thing to do. I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Be very, very careful. Make sure that you're responding to the call of God. But I believe that there are young people that are coming back. And you know what I'm going to start to do is I'm going to stay to Zimbabweans who are back there. You know, God gave me this prophetic word. I want you to read, read it. Not heavy on you. But rather than going from Qatar to Canada and then to England and then stepping stone into other, some other place where you can live a prosperous life, is God calling you back to the nation of Zimbabwe? Because God is looking for people who are going to rebuild this nation. 
people who are righteous, people who are God's sons and daughters, his destruction, the, the decimation, and I'm going to cause you to be part of a generation. And you might not even see it with your eyes, but you'll be one of those faithful people that God will use. God, this is what you said. I just see young people leaving, Lord, but you said you're going to bring, young, you're going to bring sons and daughters back. You said, Lord, that you're going to switch the lights on so that the cockroaches are run and the rats scurry and righteousness will again adorn this nation. You said that, Lord. So, Father, I want to pray that you would give to King City Church in this year and in the coming years the grace to be able to live in the gap. Live in the gap, Lord God, between what you said and so it was. I pray, Lord God, in the individual lives, but Lord, less than in the individual lives, I pray, Lord God, for, their, for their, their, this church, Lord God, you cause them to live in that reality more and more for the glory of your name. Amen.